2 Corinthians chapter 5. I've been to this passage already in this series. Again, this will be a coming back to where have we been before in this series. And uh, we'll pick up um, talking about relationships. I want to say this in general. Uh, and I want to say it carefully. Part of what's led in this series is a general um, observation. Are you with me? A general observation that... And again, please understand when I say this, I'm not excluding myself from the conversation as if I'm some spiritual guru who's got it down and I'm going to tell you what's what. That's, that's not the platform. The platform is that I, I feel like we as human beings don't relationship well. That we don't relationship well in a whole host of platforms. We don't relationship well, number one, with God. All you got to do is look around the look at the world around you to recognize that we're broken and don't know how have how to have a relationship with God and many times we're willing to live a life without that relationship. And uh, that translates to the church as well that many times we don't know how to have a relationship that's healthy within a church. We don't know how to have a relationship that's good in a family circumstance. Many times we don't have an understanding of how to have a relationship well when it's between a husband and wife or a parent to children. And so I want to drive, and, and I think it's worthy to understand that in this pursuit of this series, often in my ministerial life I've had opportunity to talk to people about relationships. And when someone comes to you with a relationship difficulty, it's usually with another person. And they want that relationship fixed. Now, I know this is maybe hard for this assembly to do, but I think it's important to bring the reality of it home to where you are. Are there relationships that are broken in your life that you would like fixed? Anybody? Would you raise your hand to that? Relationships that are broken that you would like fixed. And some of you are like, well, I don't know if I want to raise my hand because I'm talking about him and uh, about her. Both of us. Uh, listen, we need, we need the Lord. And when I start talking about relationships, I always want to start from a platform of a relationship with God. If that relationship is not right, all the other relationships, in my mind, and according to doctrine, I believe, become a house of cards. <clears throat> that you can prop them up with this and prop them up with that, but they can remain broken or at least unfulfilled if we don't have a platform of relationship with God. So sometimes it's tedious when you're talking to someone they got a relationship issue with somebody else to almost set aside that issue for a moment and come to this, tell me first about your relationship with God. Do you know Him? Do you know Him personally? And what kind of relationship do you, as an individual, have with him? So I, I like to start that, and that's why we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to talk about reconciliation in this passage. I'm going to dive in, <coughs> excuse me, with verse 14. Now, there's context behind this. And the application is going to be fair. But the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is that Paul is dealing, at least in part, with those that are 
contrary to the Lord in that they were putting themselves forward in the church and demeaning Paul's ministry. So you look at that language back in verse 12, not commending ourselves again unto you. But here we are in verse 14 where he says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. I'm going to take a moment in here in this and, and say that Paul in context was saying he's living the way he's living based on a relationship with the Lord. And that relationship is this, the love of Christ constraineth us. So to unpack that a little bit, we have to know a couple things. That it is a wonderful thing to come into a relationship with the Lord where you know he loves you. And when he loves you, he's going to unpack in your life what that means, what that looks like, and how it's manifested, how it's manifested to you. And what happens in this passage is that Paul's life is affected by the love of Christ, and he says, that love constrains me. Now, the word constrain is a very rich word. It means to hold one's attention. It's kind of like Joe, my little four-year-old, when he wants something, uh, it's not against his um, nature to get right in your face. You ever seen those kids that they know to get your attention, they've got to hold your face? So they grab your face and pull you to eye to eye. Uh, it's that kind of idea that the love of Christ constrains or grabs attention. It also means to be squeezed in. Now to be squeezed in has a definite illustration. The illustration is of cattle being squeezed in through gates so that they can either be counted one by one or administered some type of health or, or, or agency of health, whether it's sheep or cattle, squeezed in so that one by one they can be addressed. So it's this narrowing in, this squeezing in, so that individual attention is given. So the idea is that the love of Christ is that squeezing in that grabs my attention so that I understand the love of God, how it lives in my life, and this is what Paul says. For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And what you have is this message. The gospel and God's love are what really were the driving forces for Paul to live his life to declare the message of God and to declare that God loved us before we ever loved him. I'm going to cross-reference some other passages if you'll take a moment with me. 1 John chapter 4, if you would. 1 John chapter 4. I want you to, and I, again, some of these are kind of a bringing back to attention what we've mentioned in the beginning of this series back in January. The love of Christ is something that God initiates to us and that God does apart from us without our initiative. My point there is this. You don't wake up one day desiring God because you had a bright idea. The Lord is working in this world today to draw you into a relationship with Him where you know His love to you personally. And so we find in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, And this 
Matter of fact, read verses 9 and 10 out loud with me if you would. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Here in His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the one who was that substitutionary atoner, that one who stepped in our place to provide forgiveness and salvation by paying for our sins himself. We find in this passage that he, he revealed or manifested his love through this act of giving Christ to die on the cross for us. If you'll take your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2 and look at a, a few verses there. He proved his love, and I want you to know this about God. He is going to continue his love. All right, now this is going to take a moment. I'm going to warn you too. I mean, I, 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 I already know that I can preach for 50 minutes because I've done it on Tuesday night. You just better buckle in, hang on. I know food's later, so you don't have to go anywhere for lunch, and I'm going to try to get everything squeezed in. But when I have a lot of passages I want to share with you, it's hard to get through it all. But this is important. Ephesians chapter 2. Now, before I give this passage, I had a conversation with someone just this week, and maybe not the vein of exactly what they were talking about. I want to say this to you. M many of us can wonder over God's love for us, our relationship with Him, because we fail in our performance. We fail in our doing all that we know to do or being all that we need to be. You know you should read your Bible every day? You know that? You sometimes fail in that. You sometimes come to your Bible and read, and yet you walk away feeling like you got nothing out of it, and you, your walk with God can seem distant. And you, and you have reason to be concerned about that in the sense that you want a good relationship with God. But I want to encourage you with this. God wants a relationship with you more than you want it with Him. Hello? God wants that relationship more with you than you want it with Him. And He's going to work in your life to draw you into that. So much is this so that God is actively engaged in your life in drawing you into this relationship of love with Him that He, he gives wonderful language in Ephesians chapter 2 that talk about our position in Christ. So Ephesians 2 verse 1, And you hath He quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Who are you to know Christ as your Savior? Who are you to be called a child of God because you've come to faith in Christ? Who are you to deserve that? Who are you to deserve the great kindness of God in inviting you into a family relationship with Him? Who are we? He takes us who were dead in our trespasses and sins, and He makes us alive in Him. It goes forward in verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened, made us alive together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Amen? 
Now listen to the passage. The passage reflects God's love so much for us that it's, it's not just arguable, but doctrinally true, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This has our future resurrection in view and as if it's already done. Did you realize doctrinally that if you know Christ is your Savior, that you cannot be separated from the love of God? Hello? You, do, you cannot be separated from the love of God. Now, don't get me wrong. Does God care if we read our Bible today? Yes. But in your failure of not being all that you want to be, God is not going to give up on you. He's not going to quit on you. Matter of fact, so secure are you in Christ that He sees you as already resurrected and already as good as in heaven. Do you get that? So what I'm trying to say by the initiation of this relationship is that God is for you and God is going to grow you and God is going to draw you and for all of eternity forward, you're going to know the goodness of God's love as He showers it upon you. Amen? So He proves His love. He's going to continue His love. He's going to continue to prove it. But we come back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you would. 2 Corinthians 5. And here's the point of the beginning of this passage. If you want to know the Lord, understand that He is seeking you now. He wants you to know Him. He wants a relationship with you. So much so that He sent His Son to die for you so that you could in faith come to Him and have His righteousness given to you in trade for your sins which He died for. We're going to find in this passage in 2 Corinthians 5 that the word for that is reconciliation. But in the relationship that we have with God, it is broken because we're all sinners. It says in Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Or there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everyone in this room is a sinner. Amen? And you're either a saved sinner or a lost sinner. Amen? Amen. So you're either saved by faith in Christ and have come to know His goodness and grace, or you're outside of a relationship. And I want to, through this message, magnify the relationship that God is inviting you to and the work that He's done to provide for it. So in verse 15... So I'll read verse 14 again. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Colossians 3, if you would. So you've got to have your Bibles quick and ready to go. Colossians 3, if you would. So the Lord did not just die for you, to provide a path of relationship for you so that you could get fire insurance from hell. Now, is coming to the Lord for salvation to be saved from the judgment of hell a good reason? I'm amazed many times how people will look down upon that as a bad reason. 
I want to tell you, I think it's a biblical reason to come to Christ. I don't want to go to hell. And I know I can't save myself by the truth of what God has revealed. And I know through the truth of Scripture that Jesus Christ died so that I could have a relationship. But he didn't just give himself for you to save you from hell. He gave himself for you to have a forever relationship with you, a restored relationship from that which was broken. God has made us for fellowship with him. Verse 15, and they died for all. I'll come to Colossians 3 in a second. That he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Colossians 3, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. The idea of this intimacy of relationship is that when we place our faith in Christ, God the Father sees the payment of what Christ has done as if when he looks at us, he sees the blood of his Son. We are hidden in Christ. I'm thankful for the shed blood of Christ on my behalf, that I'm washed by the blood, that I'm cleansed by the blood. It's Jesus' satisfactory atoning for my sin that God accepts when there is faith in His Son. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and now verse 16. Wherefore, in verse 16, wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth, henceforth know we Him no more. Verse 16, I'm not going to take a long time to spend on, except for verse 16 in context is basically saying, look, this isn't a goal in life to follow our lives after this big-name person or that big-name person. What we want to know, who we want to know, is Jesus Christ. My paraphrase, but that's the short of verse 16. Verse 17, you know this passage of what God does for us when we come to know Him. Verse 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? He's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Who does that work in us? Who does that change in us? Jesus does it all. He works in us, and he makes us this new creature. Verse 18, and here's where we come to the crux of the establishment of a relationship. All things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by who? Say it out loud. All things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you want to be restored to a relationship to the Lord? Do you want to come to a place of fellowship? We have to understand this ministry of reconciliation. So let me, for a moment, unpack this word. This ministry or this word reconciliation means to change but it specifically means to exchange. It is to exchange one for another. To return to favor is another idea of the word. So specifically the word of reconciliation and an exchange, it is the great exchange, and this is the core of the gospel. The great exchange is my sin and the judgment for my sin for the righteousness of Christ. There is a trade that has happened because of Christ coming to the world and dying on the cross. That trade is that the sinless Christ goes to the cross, 
to take upon him the sins of who? The sins of the world. And to offer a restored relationship with the God who made us where we exchange our sin for the righteousness of Christ. Are we righteous in our of ourselves? No. We've already referenced Romans 3.10 and Romans 3.23. If it were possible for us to make our way to heaven by being good, by being kind, by being all that we want to be to aspire to heaven, Jesus Christ would not have had to die. But Jesus Christ dies because we cannot save ourselves. And he dies to give us this opportunity for an exchange. I will die for you, he says. If you will place your faith in me, I will take all of your sin. I will give you my righteousness so that when God the Father looks at you, he accepts my righteousness, which I've given to you in payment for your sin and grants you entrance into the family of God and heaven. This is what reconciliation is. This is why Christ came. And he invites every lost person in the world to come and be reconciled, to have that great exchange. So understand this again, as declarative as I can be, you will never earn heaven by your good works. You will never earn heaven by your good behavior. You will never be worthy of heaven because of who you are. The only way we can make our way to heaven is to come to Jesus Christ, who is the, the way, the truth, and the life. If you come to him, he promises this great exchange to you. Again, so much so that in John 1, 12, he says, But as many as received him... To them gave he power or the authority or the right to be called, listen to this, the sons of God. Even to them that believe on who? On his name. So the great exchange is Christ who dies for you to give you righteousness you never had and could never earn and would never be good enough to present before God, he gives you his righteousness in trade for your sin. Now listen, I know that what I've just said is gospel-centric. It is true for everyone who's lost. You can be saved by faith in Christ. But believer this morning, never lose your passion for the fact that you're a sinner saved by grace. You're a sinner who never deserved the goodness, the kindness, the love of Christ. Never. But he offers you entrance into the family because he loves you where you are. So come to him. Come to this reconciliation to Christ. Believer, never lose your position in Christ. Even in your failure, never forget that he loves you. He's drawing you into relationship. And you may not be everything you want to be, everything you should be, but he is drawing you. At this very moment, he's drawing you into that relationship and he's good to do it every day of your life. Now listen to verse 19. To wit, in verse 2 Corinthians 5, 19, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, 
not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And all God's people said... Reconciliation in relationship means that we can have peace with God. Take your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Speaking of this relationship, this is what God says to his children. Therefore, Verse 1, Romans chapter 5. Therefore, being justified, this is something that's already done. For those who know Christ, this is a position. You've come to Christ, you are declared by Scripture, justified, right with God. Therefore, being justified by faith, what does it mean? We have peace with God, and again, through a person, through our Lord Jesus Christ. What that means is all of God's wrath has been taken away for everyone who knows him as Savior. All of God's wrath has been taken away from you. And in trade, you are given the peace of God. I want to take a moment here and say this as we look at this passage. I want to thank the Lord that no matter what we go through, his love has not forsaken us. His kindness has not forsaken us. His goodness has not forsaken us. But He is closer than you know. I, I, can, I can say this. Now, do we face hard things? Hello? You face hard things in your life? I look throughout this assembly, and, and this is true. Pastor Phil, I have to admit, Pastor Phil, when you relayed, I don't know what emotional response you're supposed to have when you relay that. You know what response I had physically? I got nauseated. You know why? Memory. Memory of all that ugly. By the way, I want to tell you I was not entirely pastoral through the whole circumstance. That's right. There was a time, I'm going to tell you a story, I'm just going to tell myself right now. There was a time in the hospital, at least, at least twice, <laughs> maybe more, where you would have seen me and you said, I don't know that I want to say that he's my pastor. <laughs> There was one time I'd been innovated, tubes down my throat, right? And they'd taken that out. I could talk, but I couldn't talk well. And I, I, was, I was in and out, big-time drugs. Drugs are good. Uh, <laughs> I didn't say that. We'll cut that out, okay? But, but I was on pretty big drugs. And I woke up, and they had put my hands in a mesh glove where it was mesh on this side and a hard foam on the outside, and taped around my wrists so that I could not move my fingers. Now, I want to tell you, I'm, being an old wrestler, I have this huge aversion to being held down or incapacitated. Jason, your dad was in surgery one time or came out where he was strapped down to the bed. 
I'm like, you better just shoot me now because I'm going to kill somebody. You let me up. <laughs> now, that was kind of my pastoral mentality when I woke up with this. When I woke up with this, this sweet little nurse taking care of this Baptist preacher, <laughs> I woke up and I could not move my hands and I did not know why they were there. I have this memory, okay? So I woke up. I was not filled with grace, love, and truth. <laughs> matter of fact, as a matter of fact, I woke up and I was saying something along the lines of, what's, this, what's going on? And this old nurse, she said, Mr. Estes, you're a, you're a risk for pulling your tubes out, so we had to wrap your hands. And, and I went through all these reasons. I never pulled my tubes out. And then in the midst of all that, I started going, patient rights, patient rights, patient rights, patient rights. And she says, Mr. Estes, when, when your wife comes, she could, she'll take those off of you and, and she'll be with you, but we can't staff you to watch you. Patient rights. It gets better. <laughs> I looked at her and knew she wasn't going to do a thing for me. I looked down at these things and I saw where the tape began. And so, <laughs> so I started going. <laughs> this sweet little thing outside, Mr. Estes, don't do that. <laughs> judge you. I didn't say that. My wife walked in. I didn't say, hi, honey, love you. I said, get that off of me. <laughs> it's ugly. It's, it's ugly. It's not pretty. It, I mean, it, it hurts. It's, it's ugly. I would not want to go through this without Christ. I would not want to go through this without my Savior. Time fails us, but I want to walk through this for a moment. We have peace with our God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also, verse 2 of Romans 5, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. To understand the grace wherein we stand, the grace is being positioned into the family of God. It's not only being positioned into the family of God, the grace wherein we stand is a grace that is continually showered upon you where you are. God's grace is on your life. What is grace? It's God's unmerited favor. It's God's unmerited kindness. It's God's never leaving you nor forsaking you. It's God not giving up on you. It's God not quitting on you. His grace is always on His children. Hello? His grace is always on His children. And He goes, He says, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation works patience. Patience is the other word for endurance. 
and patience, experience, and experience hope. And hope, listen to this, hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which he has given unto us. Now, I, I read through verse 5 fast. I'm going to come back to it. Hope maketh not ashamed. What does that mean? Our hope is not a disappointing hope that is hoping in the wrong thing. It's almost like a flush with embarrassment that I was hoping in something that wouldn't come to pass. That's the idea, hope maketh not ashamed. We don't have a hope that we'll be ashamed of. We don't have a hope that won't come to pass. We have a hope that is so sure, listen, so sure that Christ already sees you as raptured and in heavenly places. Now listen to the emotion of the relationship in this verse. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. So this is another way of saying that. Every believer is gifted with the Holy Spirit completely. You will never get more of the Holy Spirit in your Christian life than when you come into the relationship of a relationship with Christ. When you come into a relationship with Him, He gives you the earnest or the down payment of the Spirit. You gifted the Holy Spirit who now indwells you. And that Holy Spirit, that person of God, is doing something in the hearts of His children. And what he is doing is he is shedding abroad. Now, in my mind, I had the idea of just pouring water completely over, of sprinkling it out so it just covers everything. He is ministering his love into our hearts. He's ministering his comfort, his presence, his grace where you are. God pours out his love for us in our hearts and he does it through the person of his spirit. I want to say that I, I don't know how often I will say this, but probably a lot. I don't know that we can really appreciate the doctrine of the Holy Spirit to the full extent that we should. But for the believer, what it means is he's always there for you and in you, ministering his grace, his comfort, the relationship. Walk with me, for I love you. I'm going to help you. I will be there for you. His grace that is shed abroad. Listen to verse 6. For when you were with that, for when we when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Goes on to give some illustrative kinds of things here. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure. For a good man, some would even dare to die. Yeah, I might add in my own words here, foolishly would someone do this. But God demonstrated and commendeth his love toward us. He showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. Would you say it out loud? Christ died for us. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, these two words, much more, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. The word atonement here, 
is the same word that we read back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18, the word reconciliation. And not only so, but we also join God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the exchange. Not being right with God to being right with God. From being outside of God and outside of His fellowship to in fellowship. So I want to close just by saying this. Look, God is for you. He wants you to be in a relationship with Him. He wants you to be in a relationship with Him so much so that He's given us the gospel message. That Christ died for you so that you could have life. Why would you turn your back on this kind of love? I want to tell you it's deeper than you probably know, deeper probably than I can relay, certainly in a Sunday morning message. I am simply one ambassador of the reconciling work of God. And the moment that I've had this morning is to share that reconciling work and offer it to everyone that can hear my voice. And to know the peace and freedom that can come when you place your faith in Him. That your hope will not be disappointed. When you place your faith in Him, He will see you safe to glory. But believer, it's also been my hope this morning to encourage you with a God's love that will never fail, with God's love that will never leave, with God who helps all through this trouble-filled life. You can have not only peace with God, but a warm knowledge that this God who loves you never stops. And, and I, I, I wish I could say this more powerfully, but it has never been based on our worthiness. It's never been based on the fact that God's going to love that person more than he loves you because they're so much more than you are. God wants you to know personally his love for your life as a believer and to give you a sense of the warmth of the Holy Spirit who's ministering that love to your heart right now. Now, translated, what that means is this. I don't know how you feel about your walk with God, but I know how God feels about His walk with you. He wants you to be close to Him. He invites you to that. And I just want to say testimonially, I, I need the Lord as much day, today as I have ever needed Him. And I'm thankful that He's more committed to me that he's working in my life to draw me close to him. And he's doing the same in you. There's a peace that comes from knowing that God wants you close. So how's your relationship with the God of this book? Tonight or some, this morning, what I would invite you to do is, as we close in prayer, just talk to the Lord about your relationship. Talk to him and maybe thank him for what He's done for you. And ask the Lord to help draw you into that relationship where you know it and feel it. I, I will just close by saying, coming to the Lord, you will never be disappointed. He is a good God.